This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. From the book of Nehemiah, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Today in these wonderful scripture readings, we have three gatherings of the people of God described. First, from Nehemiah, we have this account of the first feast of Sukkoth in a rebuilt Jerusalem. The people gather together to hear the law read by Ezra the priest. And it's there that they realize, we haven't kept Sukkoth in quite some time. We should get about that. And so they do. In the Gospel of Luke, we have this wonderful account of the Lord Jesus entering his childhood synagogue, asking for the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and reading, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. A synagogue is a house of assembly, a place of gathering, a place where the word of God is read. In fact, you can't really have a synagogue without the scrolls of the Torah. In fact, it's moving the Torah into the synagogue that makes it a synagogue. And here in this reading, the word of God incarnate reads the word of God written. The fulfilling of scripture has happened in their sight. The Christ, the anointed one, proclaims good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. Just as in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, only now more gloriously, more lavishly, the people of God are called together and renewed. The reading and hearing of the divine word not only calls together, but renews and restores the people of God. I'm reminded of Archbishop Cranmer's preface to the first book of Common Prayer in 1549 that the reason which scripture must be read in church and the reason it must be read in a language understood by the people and the reason it must be read according to the lectionaries that he had set forth was not only so that you could go and read through the scriptures in a year, but it's so that the clergy should be stirred up to godliness themselves and be able to exhort others by wholesome doctrine and to confute them that were adversaries to the truth and that the people, by daily hearing of Holy Scripture read in the church, might continually profit more and more in the knowledge of God and be more inflamed with the love of his true religion. When I first came here to Waco, I was reminded by a number of people who said, you know, one of the reasons I love coming to church here is you actually read scripture. I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, you read scripture in the service on Sundays. Our church stopped doing that years ago. And I thought, what? I've never been a part of a church that didn't read scripture, at least four readings a Sunday for my entire life. For Anglicans, this is the very first identity of the church. It is where the gospel is truly preached according to Holy Scripture. 
Holy Scripture makes and renews the church because the gift of faith, that which opens the eyes of the blind, that which is good news to the poor, that which gives liberty to the captive, is that gift which comes by hearing. Remember that the whole universe came into being by God simply speaking. It is the hearing of the word that cuts to the heart. It was the hearing of the word that cut to the heart of those gathered on the day of Pentecost. What is going on? It is something like what Paul writes to the Galatians about. Hearing with faith. He asks them, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? To the Romans, he writes, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is how men and women came to believe and come to believe today. The word is proclaimed and it is heard. This is how men and women are called to repentance. The word is proclaimed and it is heard and it is received by faith. But I said that there was a third gathering in the readings this morning, and I want to make it clear now what that is. Paul writes to the Corinthian church this morning about how it is that many are brought together into one body, how they are gathered into one body, how Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, are made to drink of one spirit. But Paul, as always, must level up. This isn't about many different people being brought together as one. This isn't even about a church or the church as the gathered people of God. All of that is true. His readers would have known that. That's what the word church in Greek means. The gathered. He writes, Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. What is the meaning of this? So it is with Christ. Is this not to say that though the church be composed of many, so also in the church we are all one thing, and that is Christ himself. You see, what draws the church together is not our binary one-to-one relationships. It's not like, oh, I know Eric, I love Eric, I think he loves me, we're a church, we agree, we're the church. No! No, it is that Eric is in Christ, and I am in Christ, and we are the church. That's how it works. And it is not our agreement that builds up her unity, as blessed a thing as that is. It is not our united take on this issue or that. But it is that each one of us was joined to the one body of Jesus, baptized into the one body. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And it is from this, as a first principle, that Christians agree. It is from this, as a first principle, that Christians cannot be abstracted from Christ himself. As with all of us, we were made one with his body. This is at the center of Paul's admonition to the Corinthians regarding their various factions and parties. They are betraying their true identity. This is what party spirit is about 
in the letter, in the first letter to the Corinthians. I know some people, my wife talks about this, growing up in youth group, party spirit was always like, that's why you don't get, you know, you shouldn't go to parties, ruckus parties. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about party spirit, like political parties. When they break into these factions and parties, they are betraying their true identity, which comes not from their uniqueness as individuals or the uniquenesses of their opinions or the uniquenesses of their political positions or the uniqueness of where they come from or the uniqueness of their riches or their poor or their poverty, but from the identity which has been richly lavished upon them in being joined to the one body of Christ. And I must tell you, I think that the events of Nehemiah point directly to this. Ezra the priest reads facing the square before the water gate. And this is the gate, by the way, on the east side of the temple through which water is brought every single year on the feast of Sukkoth. And in the Gospels, there is a reenacting of the feast of Sukkoth. Do you know where that is? It's in the transfiguration. This is why, this is why Peter says, let us build booths here. He wants to reenact the biblical festival of booths in the presence of the law of God made man. The priest goes up every year and takes a bath, washing five times before making the proper sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. But note what happens according to Nehemiah when they hear the word of the law proclaimed. The ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And the people respond to this reading by lifting their hands. They worship with hands lifted and heads bowed, their faces to the ground. And the people weep as they hear the words of the law. They are made one by the common proclamation of the word of God. But Ezra's word to them is that they should not weep or mourn because of the holiness of this day. They are grieved because of their sin. They are grieved because of what, are they, what they have forgotten. But Ezra reminds them that the Lord is their strength. They are to go away eating and drinking, not because they are perfect, but because they had heard and understood the words that were declared to them. And this is exactly what Jesus says. Blessed are you who hear and understand. And over the next three weeks, those in Jerusalem live in booths and they hear the word proclaimed all day, every day. And this leads them to repentance. They put away the foreign idols. They put away their foreign wives. And you might say, what's the problem with a foreign wife? It's that the foreign wife always leads the heart astray to her gods. It's not their foreignness that's the problem. It's that they lead the heart astray to foreign gods. And the people stand in sackcloth and ashes, and they confess their sins. They even confess the iniquities of their fathers. I don't know how many of you do that on a regular basis. Confess the sins of your own father. What a dramatic and wonderful thing that is. They pray for the grip of generational sin to be broken. And if you cross-reference this with the book of Ezra, looking to chapter 10, you'll see that the people not only make confession, which is summarized by Ezra's confession here on the people's behalf, 
almost two chapters of confession. But a couple of other things happen on this day. First, there is a renewal of the priesthood. This is why all those names were listed. Didn't Steve do a wonderful job this morning? It's great to have somebody who knows the scriptures so well read those names. But the priests have broken faith with God. They've committed great errors. And in coming out of this exile in Babylon, they have only turned by half. But here's what happens. The weeping of the people and the weeping of Ezra has an impact. And the priests make an oath to rise to the tasks of the temple prescribed in the law. They commit to it. And I really want you to hear this this morning. That nothing renews a priest like the kind of repentance and weeping for sin that comes about by reading and understanding Holy Scripture. Some of you think that when I hear your confession, I get depressed. Not at all. Not at all. It's the opposite. I am renewed and challenged and overjoyed. I am humbled so deeply. It is a beautiful thing every time. I become a better priest when you make your confession. What a thing. But back to the text for a moment. There's another thing that happens. The people are called together for a solemn assembly. And this is a full two months after the events of Sukkoth. We read this, Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within the three days. It was the ninth month on the twentieth day of the month, and all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. The people gathered together to confess their sins. They're sitting before the newly rebuilt, rebuilt temple, a temple that, as I say continually in preaching, is devoid of the presence of God and the Ark of the Covenant, devoid of the cloud of glory, and they're trembling. Why are they trembling? Well, first, they tremble because of their sins. They tremble because God is renewing his presence in their nation. But second, they tremble for an obvious reason. There's a heavy rain and it's cold outside, and so they tremble. This is a shower of blessing, and at the same time, it is a shower of destruction. It's breaking them down. It's breaking their pride and renewing them in a presence greater than it ever been in the temple. They have heard the word of God with faith, and it has brought them before God in trembling. And what is it that the Lord God has done? He sends forth a rain that serves as a type for holy baptism by which we were made to drink of one spirit. Some people actually believe that this event took place in exactly the same spot where the day of Pentecost would happen a little over 500 years later. Beloved, do you see it? Faith comes by hearing, 
It is poured out by the gift of being joined to Christ, being made members of Christ, being baptized into one body, and to drink of one spirit. On the day that you were baptized, you became part of a living body, the very body of Jesus. You have no greater or more important identity, characteristic, or status than this. You are a member of Christ. Sometimes I lie in bed at night just worried. I know you do too. Worried about all kinds of things. The thing that's been the most helpful to me lately has been to remember to remember this, that I'm not just some sort of orphan worried in bed. I'm a child of God worried in bed. That makes all the difference. This very morning, you gather together with the body of Jesus to hear his word, a word that brings about repentance and renewal. Might I just say, this is the grievous thing about Christians skipping out on Sunday worship. It's not just that they don't learn anything, and by the way, you don't. If you miss Sundays, you just don't learn anything. But it's worse. It's a betrayal. It's a betrayal of who you are, a betrayal of Christ. It says, I'm better off by myself. Now, you might be sick, and I understand that, but inconvenienced? Not able to get ready in time? No. And I realize I'm preaching to the choir here. You're all here this morning. But you know, I often say this, you know, the only people who can actually receive Christian preaching are the choir, because they show up. The church, brothers and sisters, stands renewed this morning. You might not realize it, but this morning the poor received good news. And you might say, well, I don't see any poor people around here. You'd be surprised. You and I are poor. We suffer from a poverty of understanding, a poverty of knowing who and what we truly are. And even if that veil is pulled back a tiny bit, thanks be to God. One of the vestry members shared in the text message with the vestry this wonderful story of a priest who goes to celebrate the Eucharist He's an Eastern Orthodox priest, and he goes kind of grumbling because, well, not that many people are going to show up because it's cold today, which nothing drives people away like the cold. But what happens? All these people start showing up. The bishop, a choir of monks, and then it's as though there's a rip in the veil, and he sees the whole host of heaven behind the altar. This is what we mean when we say, therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven. It's not a joke. Father Canary is going to say that in just a few minutes, and we mean it. If you could only see what's beyond the veil, you'd see it. There will be people today who have been held captive who will receive liberty today. And I know how it is. You feel stuck. You feel like you'll never break out of destructive habits. You feel like you'll never give that sin up. And you say, dang it, it's Lent again. It's coming in a month. Darn it. Another Lent where I can't give that darn thing up as much as I try. 
You feel like repentance is beyond you, like this deep alienation you feel is permanent. And I have to tell you, and I speak right out of my soul, it's not. It's not at all. God can do it. Jesus wills it. And it's not the first time he did it. The Lord has done this over and over and over and over again. And today in this place, you are joined by the saints in whom he has done it. Some of you came here this morning blind. There is something you have been prevented from seeing, a truth about yourself, about God, about the creation surrounding you, and your eyes might be open today. Not your physical eyes, but your faith has been deepened. And you've been granted a new way of seeing by receiving the living word. Many of you came here today in mourning. Mourning for what your life has become. Mourning for those whom you've lost, those who have died in the past year. There have been many. Today, if they are the faithful departed, they're here today because the church has been constituted today. Beloved, the Lord has done this, all of this, and more. The Lord has reminded us that we are not orphans. He has reminded us that we are not prisoners. He has reminded us that we are not doomed. For today, you and I receive and become what we truly are the body of Christ. And thanks be to God for this magnificent gift. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.